You have a little cinemascus, didn't you? No twink He's bonds. A lot of sucking. It is a hoot and a half. It is so weird, and I don't know what its point is, but I love it. If you kill a child, I'm on board with your movie. <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page, self-high five, is the real people's champion. Can I be your bratwurst? Please. Do you have a crush on him? That does not narrow it down. The answer is probably yes. I am obsessed with Schrader. I want that man to marry me. Show me that pale brown eye. (laughs) Bring me to your crypt, baby. Is nice, nice derriere. He has a very sweet ass. Very cute butt. Does. I want to see some dong. Not entirely successful. This is an excruciating experience. I understand that you are the Hoover. It's like a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. We hope that this is never a floppy list. That we get you hard. Hard watch. Soft skip. Watch. Skip. Plus. Welcome one and all to another edition of Watch Skip Plus, the movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. Each week, my lovely co-host and I will review a brand new film and that being either in the theater, streaming digitally, or sometimes simultaneously, and we will let you know whether or not we think you should watch or skip it. The plus is a little bonus review from each of us, uh, and it can be anything from our week that we want to talk about, whether that be another movie, television show, piece of music we love, uh, a life event that occurred, uh, how disappointed we were that we didn't get a full pumpkin pie to ourselves on Thanksgiving. They were nice uh. enough to get you the little, the little uh, singular one. Uh, but no, it's one for the family and one for me. All right, listen, I love my pumpkin pie. Also, I love key lime pie, and it's becoming harder and harder to find that around here, and that's disappointing. Anyway, I am the cinematic. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I am the cinematic just in the red, joined as always by the lovely Machine Gun Jelly, a.k.a. Cupcake, a.k.a. Killer Cupcake, and maybe a.k.a. Salty Cupcake or a Burnt Cupcake. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> yes. Jose, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. And uh, I, so I had, um, I, I, I do not, unfortunately, I'm not a fan of pumpkin pie. I'll say that, but I do like apple pie. And for our mm. Thanksgiving dinner, uh, I got a slice of apple pie that was, I mean, quite literally, it was apple slices on a crust <laughs> with, with some, some jelly. And I was like, okay, they went in the opposite direction. Yeah, They, um, <laughs> they were trying to be extra yes. healthy with the pies. Yeah. We also, I had pumpkin and apple. Uh, there was also a pecan. Uh, I got to try pecan again. I used to not like it, but I think it was just me being a kid. I feel like I might like it more, but I already had enough pumpkin and, you know, apple and I'm, I am trying to still watch my weight even on Thanksgiving. Uh, and then I, I did find a key lime pie last night. I had to get it from the frozen section and just let it thaw. It still tasted good, but I wanted like one fresh from the bakery. But you know, yes. I digress because key lime pie is also amazing. Every time you say key lime pie, I think of Woody Harrelson in <laughs> Natural Born Killers yes. in the beginning. Let's let's give that key lime pie, uh, baby. Yes, <laughs> that's why we're friends. Uh, well, we are not reviewing. All right, what are we reviewing? I was going to say, well, we're not are reviewing we Natural Born Killers this week, nor are we reviewing a movie that has Woody Harrelson. I guess, spoiler alert, if you thought he was going to show up in this, because we- Well, there are, is a Woody, though. There, there are, there, you know, <laughs> definitely some Woodies in this movie. They just, uh, uh, there's no Harrels to them, I guess, but maybe Harry's. I don't mm-hmm. know. That was a weird joke. We are reviewing yeah. Saltburn, uh, a much anticipated, I think one of our most anticipated films of the year between us and within our uh, community. Uh, but before we get there, we do have some pluses. So I'm going to start it with you, Jose. What is your plus for this week? Is it a, a Woody Harrelson? <laughs> it is not a Woody Harrelson. Um, but I uh, actually, you know what? When you were doing the intro, I was thinking to myself, 
the plus could be your dentist telling you you're a mouth breather and you need to stop. (laughs) (laughs) But that was last week. (laughs) That was last week. Um, So I think I'm just, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the land in and I'm going to do just a double plus. Uh, The first is just going to be sort of like a, maybe a news sort of slash observation, which is uh, one of our beloved horror franchise has taken a ginormous hit, uh, sort of like a football performer being tackled and having his knees like obliterated basically. But so I'm talking about the fact that within days, the spyglass now spyglass produced scream sequel scream seven, uh, they fired, apparently, Melissa Barrera, who was the lead um, established from the Scream reboot with the Radio Silence guys and then the Scream 6 um, uh, movie. But they fired her over comments that she made on social media regarding the the um, Israel-Palestine conflict. Um and she has since released a statement saying that she's like anti-hate, anti-oppression, uh, et cetera, et cetera, sort of taking the position which a lot of people have sort of taken, which which is, you know, terrorism and the death of innocence is horrible on both sides rather than taking a side in some ways. But nonetheless, she was fired. And then almost a day later or two days later, Jenna Ortega, the other lead, and so these were sort of the new cast members who were going to take on the Scream franchise from the legacy characters, Jenna Ortega, she indicated she will not be in the film. And although there was speculation that she had quit in solidarity, it turns out there was a scheduling conflict. These things happen. uh, And she unfortunately cannot film Scream 7 because of her duties with Wednesday, the Netflix series. I will say... That yeah. I think the timing of that, not saying it's not a possibility, because that does certainly happen, especially with sequels. You know, you want to get it out at a certain time, but then you have stars that are bigger. So it is very much a possibility that, yes, Jenna Ortega can just not return because of scheduling conflicts. But the timing of that, like coming out like a day or two after the Melissa Barrera, Barrera file, firing, my first thought was like, was that just the professional way of saying fuck you? <laughs> it could have been, or it could have also been. Um, I mean, listen, I... I've always wanted to be in like PR and, and publicity or whatever, but I mean, now's the time to announce it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, well, while we're talking about the leads, it's true. It's very true. <laughs> so, and, uh, especially- so, yeah, but that, that I just, I don't know. There's part of me that a lot of the, a lot of talk on X is just basically like, you know what? Let's let it rest for a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, scream had a moment. Let's maybe just, wait and gestate and see if there's a better idea rather than fronting something so quickly when your leads have, have basically dropped out. Yeah. You know? uh, my um, thought process, and I texted you this, but when we were talking about it was I am expecting them to take a huge dump truck of money and put it on Ev Campbell's lawn to make up for the fact that they didn't pay her enough in scream six. But I, I think I agree that it definitely just let it lay dormant for a little bit, but if they need to continue, it sucks and it probably wouldn't make as much money since, you know, you had this rising star and Jenna Ortega and people like these new kids. But just get away even from the legacy parts and, you know, be cl- try to be clever and make up this, make, make that the joke. Like how sometimes you get these series where it's like you don't get the ca- 
the the same cast and characters returning. You just have, you know, completely random people, but it's still following the same template. Go with that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, con- and that and that would be that would be a, a fun sort of meta way to to do, to do it. Sure. Um, but I would also want the seed of the idea to be like something brilliant, like Scream yeah. Four, um, and its return. But because I mean, folks, you can visit our Scream Six episode as a Scream stan. I I did not take as much to Scream Six as most people yes. did. Uh, it was um, yeah, it was kind of a it, hot mess. And, and I then, liked it, but mainly because even though I enjoy the Scream franchise, I'm not a stand, so I think it was more just like yeah, all right, it's another installment. So I didn't have as much of a passion for the franchise interest, yeah. or vested interest is the best phrasing. So it was more like well, I was I guess in a, in a sense an easier target, but like I'm not gonna I'm not like a huge defender of it. I just thought it was you know enjoyable enough for what it was. And uh, Nev Campbell, I think she was at Monster Mania. Uh, a friend of mine actually had her uh, his uh, his uh, daughter had actually put uh, pictures up of her with uh, of they. W- I'm sorry, they with uh, Naomi, uh, Naomi Campbell. Naomi Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> that's who they <laughs> should Nev get Campbell. for Scream Seven. <laughs> <laughs> you you wanted Nev Campbell? We got you. Naomi Campbell. Actually, I'd watch that. Yeah, I, would I would totally too. watch that. I think that's where they but should go was, with it. She was at a Monster Mania convention and she indicated that, you know, she doesn't wish ill will on the sequels or the movies. It's just that, you know, it's a shame that they didn't realize what they had, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of my plus is just going to be I finally started WandaVision and it, wow, it is, you know what? I can see why people were really really excited for this um uh i have this weird thing where if things are too trendy i go the opposite direction so i've only seen one or two episodes of seinfeld uh i never really finished friends i i like one or two seasons then i kind of stopped um and so when all the disney plus uh marvel series came i just sort of ran the other direction and was like i'm not gonna do this i don't have the time for this but re I mean, watching it now for the first time, it is it's incredible. And this mm-hmm. is the kind of, I think, knowing swing that Marvel really needs to take, because as much as people would watch maybe the first three episodes and be like, what the hell am I watching? Why? It absolutely makes sense when you think about the characters and you think about where it's going. And I, I swear that that Danny Elfman Marvel theme thing comes on with the Marvel Studios, and I get excited watching these episodes, you know? And so I, again, I can see why this fervor sort of started and people were excited for the shows, but then it just became a glut of them. There was too many of them, and it was... It, it, it's like opening your mouth and standing under a waterfall. Eventually, you have to, you have to close your mouth and be like, "This experience isn't what I thought it would be." Yeah. Um, but but I just I love it. My we talk about future husbands. Uh, Josh Stamberg, an actor I have been in love with for quite some time. He's he's in it. Randall Park is in it. Kat Dennings is in it. There's all these great, amazing actors and actresses in it. Catherine Hahn and just it. I mean. I'm just bowled over. I was like, wow. And and I hear that since I will be continuing with all the other series, that it's all downhill from here. <laughs> but in my but opinion, nonetheless. yes, uh, there are still some really good series. The only Disney Plus series that, I mean, I haven't watched What If yet, um, but the only one I just did not like, and it's not a surprise, I, I did not like Secret Invasion, like 
pretty much the majority of people. I thought it just was a fart in church. Um, yeah. but the other stuff <laughs> I, I, I have enjoyed, like Loki's been very good. I like Falcon Winter Soldier, but like nothing can touch WandaVision. Like as much as I loved how boisterous and colorful Miss Marvel was and the humor of She-Hulk, there's just something very special and unique about WandaVision, especially within the MCU that, like you said, it, that's what this franchise needed at that time. And they just haven't really followed up. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. That's post Endgame because I know there's a couple of phases now, but post Endgame, nothing has touched WandaVision, in my opinion. Nothing has come close. And I think that's now like I'm trying not to compare everything to that, but I'm like, I fell in love with WandaVision. I was definitely looking forward to it, but I didn't expect to be as bold over in love with it. And I think it also helps. It was the first of those Disney plus series. So it also felt f- fresh at the time, as opposed to, you know, it was more, I was more excited at that time. I was like, okay, I could do, you know, I'm not a big show guy, but I can do this. And then after a while, like I did finally catch up the latest season of Loki and I enjoyed it, but I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to watch it because I'm like, well, now it just feels like homework. Like, I just need to watch all the, even yes. the, the Star Wars stuff. I know uh, I haven't gotten through everything. And like my brother-in-law, who's a big Star Wars nerd and uh, you know, friends you know, of this show and family, they're saying, well, you could skip this show and go to that one. This one's okay, but you can just go to this. It's just even The Mandalorian, which I loved. I, by the time we got to that, like, third season, I was just like, I don't. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like I don't, I don't have yeah. the patience and it's just, it's just too much and it's overwhelming. And I still haven't watched other shows such as like, I haven't started the bear yet. I haven't watched Barry with Bill Hader, you know? So it's just yeah. so much out there. There's a lot. And I'm, it's hard for me to keep up with shows in general. I mean, the new Godzilla just dropped, which, you know, I'll, st- which by the way, actually, you know what? No, I know what my plus is going to be, but I'll wait. Okay. Uh, and then one last, one last thing about the show too. There's, there's a, uh, some fantastic sort of feminist girl power stuff going on in WandaVision, which uh, I, I really absolutely enjoyed. Obviously, Monica Rambeau, just it's, uh, yeah, I'm loving it. it. Created by Jack Schaefer, who is Jacqueline Schaefer, by the way. So a woman created the show. Mary Livinos, she's the producer of this. She also produced the Marvels. Um, but the other thing I'm really excited for is this series, WandaVision, was directed by Matt Shackman, who is the person who was handpicked to shepherd the Fantastic Four onto the screen. So, which has me very I'm excited. Very excited. Yeah, absolutely. All right, over to you for your plus. Okay. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm actually going to do two. I had one, but uh, I just hinted at uh, Apple Plus. So, let's do that one quick. So, first, so. I had mentioned on the show, me and me, I think it's Apple Plus, Apple TV, whatever the hell they're calling themselves. There's just too many of these streaming yeah. services, and that's why I've always avoided it. I know Ted Lasso is good, but whatever. But now that they had this Godzilla Monarch show, of course I want to get to it. I was going to wait until I knew all the episodes were out because that Charlie Brown cereal I bought, which I only had the one bowl and I have not eaten it since, <laughs> that came with like a free month subscription. Well, I was on last night. Uh, going to watch a, a wrestling show and Roku was advertising, hey, th- you know, for Black Friday weekend, three, uh, three free months of Apple Plus or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'll take advantage of that. I feel like they don't want me to take advantage of it. Or maybe I did do a free trial and I forgot because it has a spot where it's like, okay, hit this if you want to sign in or sign up. I see the sign in option, no matter where I go, there's no sign up. And it's like, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe if I start putting in like a email and a password, I'm like, oh, you don't have an account, create it. It doesn't happen. So I don't know if maybe I did have a free trial and I just already forgot about it. I don't remember doing it. But Apple, if you want me to get your service, 
Let me actually get your service, because I do want to watch the Godzilla show, and I'm willing to pay you money instead of finding it other ways, because I love me some Godzilla. But you are making this difficult for no reason, and maybe I'm just getting older and I'm starting to become the person who can't understand technology, but I literally was trying to do it on my phone, on the laptop, on Roku itself, and I think it's worse, too, because I think I need to log in through my Roku to get it because I think it's a deal with Roku. So I'm just like, so I gave up and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get you Apple. Uh, so <laughs> fuck off. So that's a, there you a, go. <laughs> a bonus plus of me just being pissed off at this streaming service. But the other plus, the one I had planned uh, is a video game and it is a very familiar character because we reviewed his big screen. An- well, not even, I guess, animated debut because he had a Japanese big screen worldwide animated debut earlier this year. I'm, of course, talking about Mario himself and I'm reviewing one of his newer games because he's had quite Quite a few this, not just this year, but this like month. That being Super Mario Wonder. So there are two ways of how their new typical Mario games. There is, they're both 3D, but one is the more traditional platformer where it's left to right. It's not an open world. And then there's open world, which is Super Mario Odyssey and all that. So Super Mario Wonder is what I would call the traditional platformer. It's all 3D animated graphics, but it's your basic, for the most part, going left to right when you're on the regular stages. Um, and they've always been fun, but I think they've, those uh, versions, I think there was like Super Mario Deluxe and whatnot, they've kind of felt a little bit stagnant. The little like additions haven't been all that much. It might just be like a new power-up, but they freshened it up this year because what they did was your power-ups this time aren't just, okay, you got the fire pellet, power-up, whatever, but it transforms you into things. You're going to become an elephant or you know you can but at one point if you get like the wonder seeds whenever you get those into levels it'll turn you into like a big boulder that kind of rolls around or stuff like this and it's it's quirky enough that it just it adds enough of a difference and it kind of takes after how i think kirby's been doing it with you know you know sucking them up you know sucking things up uh, and then <laughs> becoming things them, yeah kirby <laughs> things uh becoming them that it's just it, it feels like a breath of fresh air even if a lot of the platforming is still familiar in a good way uh it doesn't take long to beat i think if i would were to look at how many hours i put in probably not even a full day's worth and maybe just a little over a day um and that's with mostly 100 percenting it but it's very cute and they have these things where like they have these little like flowers uh that are on all the levels and they're like they're your little cheerleaders they're just like hey if you walk by and they're like hey man how's it going you got it and i'm just like <laughs> This is the most adorable thing ever. I don't know. So uh, I haven't played it with friends yet because uh, one of the biggest additions now is in the past, you would have to, if you played with friends, you one friend would play his level and when he died or finished it, your turn. Now you're all on the screen at the same time, which can be chaotic. I've done it for the other ones, but not this one yet. But it's fun even by itself. And I like the fact, because I've seen some people online going, well, does it seem like this one's easier? And I'm like, I think we're just getting older. Because I've gone back and played some of the original Super Mario games. And not that they're not difficult, but when you're older, I think it's easier to get through them. Um, and I would say the same thing for this. Like when you get to some of the later levels, there are some really tricky ones. But for the most part, they're smart enough to know that they are still targeting, you know, children first. Like their their ideas, they want to be universal and with children in mind, I think they help with the difficulty where it's still challenging for them, but not too challenging. And I think they also learned their lesson because the original Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan was so ridiculously difficult that when it went to come to the States, they just uh, reskinned a different, easier game because they didn't think uh, people in the States would be able to handle 
how hard that second one originally was. So it's been re-released in the States as the Lost Levels. But yeah, that second one, the proper Super Mario Brothers 2, difficult as shit. Um, but the rest, I'd say, are, you know, they had their moments, but they're pretty manageable. But I don't know, maybe the older I get, sometimes I like it when a game isn't that hard. It's just, it's manageable. You know, I, I got enough of a yeah. stressful, stressful life that sometimes you just want to be cheered on by a couple of flowers while you turn into an elephant and stampede around. So exactly, very very. Although cute you, game. Know, you you're onto something about the the fact that if something's too difficult, eventually I'm just gonna I'm just gonna freaking give up. Oh, right? I've done like that if now. You, if you can, if you if if I can't pass a level after like four or five tries, onto my next game, just like Apple TV. Hey, I can't sign up. On to my next stream. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? When I was younger, you know, you would get frustrated, but you want to beat it. But now I've gotten most like, well, sometimes if I just, you know, leave and come back to the game a little bit later, I can beat it quickly. But I've found myself just not wanting to do that. And I'm like, if I Psychonauts, I finally played that, which is a really fun platformer that I played uh, that came out like the PS2 and all that. And I really enjoyed it. But there's a spot near the end of the game where I just hated the this time trial, have to jump around in the circus area. I stop, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I stopped playing the game. I just looked up the finale online. I'm like, I don't give a shit anymore. I don't I don't have enough time <laughs> to deal with this uh, annoyances. Uh, and it's just, there's a part of me that's like, oh, but the pride. But now I'm like, I don't care as much anymore about beating the video game. Because there's so much out there anyway. So. Who's got pride when you got options? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good slogan. Uh, I think uh, I think the, the the gas station near me, I don't know if you guys have rudders. I can't, I can't remember if you have rudders in Maryland or not, but we have no, that. No, 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 we don't. And their slogan is, why go anywhere else? Well, that's kind of the same thing. Why have pride when you got options? Like, come on, you're here. Like, why go somewhere? Look, we might not be great, but we're here. So just deal with right. it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um. I don't know. Actually, believe it or not, I'm not a video game person, but I'm interested in that game. Just like I didn't think I'd like Super Mario Brothers. And um, are you doing that thing where you watch the Wish trailers and you're like, where have I seen this character before? But it's the it's the depressed star from was that the character from Super Mario Brothers? I think so. I think that's one of the memes. Who was like in the jail and they were like, oh, we're going to die. I love it. Which if it's if it's it was Super Mario and if Wish would uh, hope that that meme would get people into theaters because that thing they need uh, more than a wish to serve. Disney is Uh. having one of the I think one of the worst years for them. I'm sure they're still making money just because of how many. uh, Well, just how profitable they are. But like. (laughs) <laughs> like they, if this was any oh. other company this year would have killed them is basically it yes basically basically well they got that you know that park that you have to mortgage your first child and homes yeah. for to go visit for one day anyway all right so that, that brings us to our movie review proper let's go for it all right so yes uh before i send it over to you jose to talk about the crew of saltburn i figure we're going to switch it up i'll start with the cast we usually do it the other way but sweet I'll, but i'll start with the cast and portraying the lead in saltburn is oliver quick he is portrayed by barry keoghan a very hot and up, up-and-coming star who has just burst on the scene the past couple of years uh he would have started in series such as fair city love hate and a mini series by the name of rebellion but for film he started making a name for himself in stalker trespass against us and then really broke out with The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is one of my favorites, 
absolutely phenomenal film. He would continue this hot streak into Dunkirk, American Animals, which is also great, The Green Knight, uh, The Batman, which I guess at this point, it's not a spoiler, it's been out enough, but yes, he has a very small role in The Batman, will probably continue in that franchise. Uh, and then he was recently nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Banshees of Anna Sharon, as well as work in Chernobyl, uh, the HBO series, portraying his potential love interest it's a very unique way this movie goes hmm. about it is felix and is it Catton or Catan? i think it's Catton, right I don't, I don't think they said Catan. it's Catton. katan 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 no you're right it's katan uh felix katan okay. <laughs> is jacob alordi an up-and-coming actor most known for doing the kissing booth films on netflix which are very popular with the teens i hear uh, he was also in the kind of fun horror anthology the mortuary collection he appeared in the very excellent mr dundee uh, Two Hearts was recently Elvis Presley and uh, Priscilla, which we decided not to cover because you know, we just didn't have an interest. Um, and most snooze. known, <laughs> yes, yeah, snooze, and most known for his work on the hit HBO series Euphoria. HBO has these hot young actors. I'll tell you what. Know what I'm saying? Portraying Farley Start. Uh, I wonder if he starts as quickly as Oliver does, is the the divisive Archie Medecque. And if you're wondering why he's divisive, I recommend you go listen to our Gran Turismo episode from earlier this year because we go over his whole resume and our thoughts on him as an actor. Let's see if maybe things have changed. We'll get there. Uh, Portraying Felix's sister, Annabelle, is Sadie Soverall. Up-and-coming actress who is in films such as Rose Plays Julia in Little Bone Lodge, which is not what I wanted, but that does sound like the <laughs> alternate title to Saltburn, depending, you know. Or... Little Bone Lodge. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, you know what? I think I own that movie. Yeah, I, yeah I was going to say, if not, we need to own it. Uh, and then she has work on two series right now, Kid, A History of the Future Part 1, and Fate, The Winx Saga. Uh, rounding out the cast for the older generation is Rosamund Pike as the mother, Elsbeth. Uh, I just already forgot. Catan. There we go. Uh, we literally just discussed that, folks, and I already Kaden? forgot it. Caden? Caden. No, Caden. What, what, what is with me? <laughs> you know what? It's the, it's these, you know, ritzy, rich people. I don't need care to learn that. Red, where's your coffee? I, it's it's right early. here. It's too early. <laughs> uh, Elsbeth. I'm just going to call her Elsbeth. Uh, she broke onto the scene portraying Miranda Frost in the James Bond 2002 film, the final uh, James Bond film for Pierce Brosnan, Die Another Day. She would then go on to do The Libertine, Pride and Prejudice, that being the 2005 adaptation, Doom, the video game adaptation, so there's another video game reference, Fracture, An Education, Surrogates, Barney's Version, Johnny English Reborn, The Big Year, Wrath of the Titans, Jack Reacher, The World's End, Gone Girl, which netted her an Oscar nomination, Hostiles, Beirut, or Beirut, depending on how you want to pronounce it, A Private War, and then she has a lot of series work recently, such as voice work on the Watership Down Netflix adaptation, uh, as well as voice work in Thunderbirds or Go, which I think is also on Netflix, but I'm not sure. Uh, And then more traditional series work with State of the Union and The Wheel of Time. And just because this seems to be a hot commodity for a lot of actors nowadays, and it makes sense going back to radio days, she uh, is the lead in the podcast series Edith. So if you're getting into podcast series, I say you should be listening to podcasts like us, but you know, you do you. Uh, There you go. (laughs) portraying the father sir james 
I'm going to hand it over to you to say the last name. Sir James Cajun. Cajun, thank you, is the <laughs> wonderful actor Richard E. Grant. And I did my best here. I wanted to name pretty much everything he was in because I don't know if we're going to get a chance to talk about him again. But I, I did my best to to whittle it down. Uh, he broke into the scene portraying With Nail in the film With Nail and I. He would go on to do How to Get Ahead in Advertising, Warlock, L.A. Story, Hudson Hawk, which is a great Not a Bomb episode. The Player, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Age of Innocence, Spice World, because I do actually yes! really enjoy that movie. There's no <laughs> way I'm not going to include that. Gosford Park, <laughs> Corpse Bride, Calling Me Kubrick, Penelope, two versions of the Nutcracker that were not well received. The Nutcracker in 3D, which is abysmal, and the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, which is just pointless. <laughs> the Iron Lady. <laughs> Can You Ever Forgive Me, which he netted an Oscar nomination for. Long overdue Oscar nomination, in my opinion. About Time, Dom Hemingway, Jackie, Logan, which is still one of the best comic book type films. The Hitman's Bodyguard, The Rise of Skywalker, The Spine of Night, and he had appeared on very popular shows such as Doctor Who, Downton Abbey, Loki, so there's your Marvel connection, and Game of Thrones. And then... I'm going to include her. I was thinking maybe it's a spoiler, maybe not, but I'm not spoiling how her character acts. Uh, Rounding out the cast as poor dear Pamela, poor, poor dear Pamela, is Carrie (laughs) Mulligan. Uh, She also broke onto the scene because she was in 2005's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. She would go on to do An Education, which would net her an Oscar nomination, Public Enemies, Brothers, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, which I'll be honest with you, I actually... I liked that movie, but I forgot it existed until I was looking these up. So what's that say about that movie? The uh, Shia movies tend to do that. Yeah. For whatever crazy reason. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, Drive, which is one of the best films ever made, and it should have gotten every single Oscar nomination, but I digress. Shame, <laughs> The Great Gatsby, that being uh, the Baz Luhrmann adaptation. Inside Lewin Davis, Suffragette, Mudbound, Promising Young Woman, which she also received an Oscar nomination for, and she was in last year's She Said. And then for series work, she's transitioned doing shows such as Bleak House, The Walker, Collateral, and The Foxes of Hyattsville. So I'm going to send That's it over. That's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. Okay. So I'm going to send it over to you, Jose. Why don't you go uh, below the line behind the camera? Who, who brought this movie to screen for us? And actually, before we go below the line, I'm going to go below the belt line and mention another actor who's in this film (laughs) um, who I I don't know what it is about this actor. I cannot take my eyes off of him. I could stare at his face from every single angle for 24 hours and never get bored. Like, I think he's one of the most intriguingly sexy men on the face of the planet, but he has a very small role in this film. His name is Ewan Mitchell. Uh, he plays this sort of like nerdy kind of like outcast, mm-hmm. uh, very small role, but you would have seen him in house of the dragon. He played Prince Aemond Targaryen with the eye patch. Uh, he was also in uh, high life with uh, Robert Pattinson. That was the uh, Claire Denis sci-fi film. He's also completely naked in it, which <laughs> may be why he suddenly got on my radar. But more, t- but more to the point, he's actually been in uh, other series like The Halcyon and Grandchester uh, and The Last Kingdom. He has a very prominent role in The Last Kingdom as well on Netflix and World on Fire. But like I said, I don't, I don't know what it is about him. I, I just think he's one of the most beautiful men on the you planet. Know, I was talking about shows I haven't seen yet. 
and obviously House of Dragon is one, but one that I have not seen yet and I want to get back to is Silicon Valley. And I'll be honest with you, when I was watching this, I was just like, he's got to pop up on that show at one point, right? Because he looks like he just came from there, but it sounds like I don't think he even had a small role. But I don't know if maybe when that show started, if he was really making a name for himself yet, because he is, he's pretty young. So maybe he was too young at that point. But yeah, if you, hey, if you want to make yet another one of these Steve Jobs or Bill Gates movies or whatever, you know, there you go. You can, if you want to do antitrust again, do it with this guy because he fits that mold perfectly. Although I was just going to say, have you conflated Ewan Mitchell with Thomas Middleditch? (laughs) Kind of, yeah, because they do are somewhat similar. You know, they they do kind of have that same that same kind of. He face. also yeah. looks like but remember he, uh, the Justin Long comedy accepted. Remember the guy the the really wiry uh, guy in that. Uh, he he would pop up. Yeah, yeah. He popped up in a couple of those like teen DJ Qualls. Well, not DJ Qualls. I do love him, but he <laughs> oh, was, okay. But he was like he was basically like a DJ Qualls. So it was like if they couldn't get DJ Qualls in the mid two thousands, they went for him instead. I can't remember the guy's name, but like. He was, you know, he was in that, but he kind of reminded me of him as well. So maybe they're brothers, but Robin Lord Taylor. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Who also played, I believe he played the penguin in Gotham. Yes. Um, I think you were. Yes. Yes. They do. They do kind of have similar looks. Absolutely. All right. So here we go. I digress. By the way, Ewan Mitchell, I love you. Be my future husband. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Saltburn. This is written and directed by Emerald Fennel. And she is obviously probably best known for Promising Young Woman, which starred Carrie Mulligan. That was Oscar nominated. She produced, she wrote, she directed it. But more to the point, A Promising Young Woman could literally be the title of her autobiography. I had no idea about Miss Fennel until I started uh, writing this kind of like below the line thing. Yes, writing. Um, <laughs> so she is an English we're just going to call her a multi-hyphenate, okay? She is an actress, so she's probably best known for the, her lead role on the BBC One period drama series called The Midwife um, from humble beginnings on a Channel 4 sitcom called Chickens. Yes, that's right. It's a comedy called Chickens, y'all. Uh, but nonetheless, she was in... She was obviously in Call the Midwife, which brought her to fame. She was also uh, playing Camilla Parker Bowles in Netflix's The Crown, which netted her an Emmy Award nomination. She has been in the films Albert Nobbs, again, not a porno, but Albert Nobbs, the Danish girl, Anna Karenina. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but And then obviously... Promising Young Woman, for which she won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, which is absolutely kind of amazing. She was also nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. But check out some of her other credits. She was actually commissioned to write a film script co-produced by Madeline Lloyd Webber. That started a relationship with Andrew Lloyd Webber. And she wrote the musical Cinderella, which premiered on the West End. Now that eventually transferred to Broadway and was entitled Bad Cinderella, uh, which was sort of a revision of the Cinderella storyline. Unfortunately, that closed. She has also written the YA children fanta- children's fantasy series, Shiverton Hall, and those are two books. One is uh, called... Uh, uh, the first novel was called... Oh, it was called Shiverton Hall. Sorry. And then the second novel is The Creeper. She has also written in her first adult horror book called Monsters. Additionally, she is best friends with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And Miss Waller-Bridge actually handpicked her to 
be the head writer and the showrunner for the second season of the wildly popular BBC series, Killing Eve. So this woman, promising young woman, she has a lot of street cred, okay? And I have heard, I have heard, she's rumored to be attached to Zatanna, which takes place in the DCEU. She's one of the sort of... Uh, uh, I, I think it's called the dark. It might be called the dark universe or something. Not the dark, not that dark universe, but, <laughs> um, but DC has characters like Swamp Thing, Constantine and Zatanna is one of those characters, sort of the supernatural arm of uh, the DCEU. And then she has also written the recent screenplay iteration for a film called Nemesis, which is based on the Mark Millar graphic novel or comic book series. Sorry, Mark Millar, as you know, created Wanted, which turned into that film with Angeline Jolie and James McAvoy. Uh, so Fennel is our director and writer. She's pretty amazing, if you ask me. Notable producers, one Margot Robbie. So off of the amazing success of Barbie, Margot actually has her own production company called Lucky Chap Entertainment. She also helped to produce uh, Promising Young Woman, which is where we get this synthesis. Uh, I bet Lucky Chap is, and Margot Robbie by extension, are just happy with this film. It is really getting a lot of buzz and is starting to get some really good box office. Our cinematography is by Linus Sandgren. He is Swedish. And if you would like to learn more about this amazing cinematographer, you can check out our episode on Babylon, as he is a frequent collaborator with Damien Chazil Chazelle Shazam. Um, uh, and then our music is by Anthony Willis. Willis is a protege of Oscar-nominated composer John Powell. So Powell, as you know, has done uh, music for movies like How to Train Your Dragon, uh, Solo, a Star Wars film. And so Anthony Willis has worked up through the music department on films like Jumanji, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, The the King's Men. Uh, Birth of a Nation, and he is just now getting his composer credits. He composed Promising Young Woman's score, for which he uh, earned a BAFTA nomination for Best Original Score. He also wrote the music for Megan, although I did check our episode. We did not mention Mr. Willis. We were still trying to find our below-the-line format at that time, so I could not, bam, knock that out, unfortunately. Um uh, he has also scored the films Solitary and then the special How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming. Uh, so Anthony Willis, promising young male composer, as it were. Uh, okay, so I guess that's below the line, yeah. basically. And you know what? I know we, we switched up the format here, but I am going to send it over to you because we talked briefly offline about this movie. And I know uh, our thoughts on it, but I know yours are a bit more passionate, I think, than mine. So I want to start it with you, and I want you to explain to me your spoiler-free thoughts of Saltburn. All right, so seeing the trailers for this, I did not know really what to expect. And obviously, I, uh, you know, Fennel was a blind spot in my pop culture radar. But going in, I thought that this was going to sort of be like maybe a, a modern version of, say, Dangerous Liaisons or even... Um, uh, Cruel Intentions, which was based on Dangerous Liaisons. But little did I know that after watching this movie, what it basically was, was, you know, just, just this sort of modern version of almost like Heathers, 
right? Or this sort of like acid dipped, like family drama. I was not expecting that. And uh, I absolutely loved this movie. This is the kind of sort of like dark, gothic, like diabolical drama thriller indie that I grew up watching and loving. Um, uh, I'm sure there's a better film comparison and it's going to come to mind. I, I just lost it uh, with this film. Uh, but again, it, you know, I grew up watching films like Heather's, et cetera. Um, and a lot of indie films like sex lies and videotape. And this is like the perfect combination of that. Um, I think what is brilliant about this movie is that first of all, it's shot in one one, which is not a format many people are used to seeing. In fact, I was waiting for the screen to sort of like open up, but it didn't. Um, so it's it's got that. I mean, Stanley Kubrick works in one eighty five one. The Academy, you know, ratio is sort of that box, right? Um, but right off the bat, there's these weird titles that I'm kind of like, okay, what is going on? This is, you know, it's almost retro, like eighties, nineties, and uh, sure enough, this is set in the past, and I think it kind of maybe has to be set in the past in some ways. Um, but I absolutely fell under the spell of this of this film and what i think is great about it and the reason why i'm calling it kind of a, a drama mystery thriller is we're never really sure of the motivations of our lead right um we don't really do summaries but i guess just to really quickly summarize this um Keoghan ends up at this board, posh boarding school and he ends up ostensibly it looks like he's very, very much attracted to the Felix Caton character. And he sort of ingratiates himself or manipulates himself into this, his inner circle and ends up going to his big palatial mansion uh, called Saltburn to meet his family and to stay during the summer. And then basically mischief and shenanigans ensue here. And uh, there's a lot of class commentary, but at the same time, again, you're just never really sure of the lead character's motivations. And what I love about the film is that, yes, there there is kind of a twist and his motivations are finally laid bare. And it is as shocking and diabolical as, as any sort of hyperbolic sort of drama like this can play. And I absolutely took to it. The performances are just brilliant and spot on, even when they are overly say satirized or overly characterized um rosamund pike and richard e grant uh they almost seem like caricatures but it works in this sort of hyperbolic and very in your face both sexually as well as like just the way people interact with each other um the film is very very in your face and it all worked all of this sort of like hyper stimulation and, and the, the cinematography absolutely worked for this. I think this is Keoghan's best performance of his career. I also think it's one of the best performances I've seen this year from an actor. I mean, he really delivers. I mean, he absolutely embodies this character and makes choices that end up on screen that are, shocking and controversial and as provocative as everybody has been hearing you just need to watch the film to see it um and i'll also say this i think that this film will probably be a little polarizing because again 
there is a character that we're asked to identify with or to follow that may not be a good person, right? And so I kind of like that cinema that's going to challenge you to be like, why are we seeing it from his perspective? Like, what, why, why would a writer want me to follow a character who may or may not be good, who may or may not be likable? Um, but it is quite the visceral journey. And again, this is the kind of filmmaking that I love, you know, Brad from not a bomb would call this like adult films, right? Because now all we're getting are the, the actioners and the superhero films, uh, bring on more films like this. Like I would categorize this as challenging cinema as indie filmmaking. Um, uh, and, and just, I, I mean, this is what I want to see from cinema. This is what film is like, right? Film, we call it film cinema, right? This is filmmaking to its core. It's a fantastic story. Again, I think it's going to be polarizing for some audiences because again, it's very, very in your face. And uh, when the reveal comes, it really just changes the entire narrative and what you've been watching. Um, I will say that Linus Sangren's cinematography is pretty brilliant. I grew up reading fashion magazines, basically. I wanted to be a fashion designer. And a lot of times you, you'll see these sort of like Helmut Newton fashion pictorials uh, where you've got very beautiful people in these great dresses, but then they're standing around in these like palatial mansions and these settings where you're kind of like, what is the story behind this? Like, why are these beautiful people at this castle and what's happening here? So a lot of this photography is like that, this sort of like hyper-realized like rich fantasy of a lifestyle and it, it's literally like straight out of vogue uh so the cinematography is absolutely brilliant and yeah we we got dong uh, yes, so i did. was very happy so just know that there is some frontal nudity here uh mr keogan yeah i'm you, a big fan yeah you were uh <laughs> big especially you were right on the money when we were texting before seeing the movie about whose dong we were likely gonna see and you know you were right yeah. you said it's by yeah. it's not that we were complaining but you know i think we yeah. were also and, and, hoping for you know, a lordy as well hoping for a lordy and it's funny a lordy has come out and said that you know after the success of the kissing booth one two and three and after some measure of success as an actor from euphoria and then the buzz on this film and priscilla Alordi has come out and said he didn't want to make those films, right? Because he's like, I didn't want to be another, you know, hot young commodity. Like, this is a serious thing for me, an endeavor for me. Um, you know, he is absolutely beautiful. I think, you know, bravo to the casting because I was like, I want you, Jacob Alordi, <laughs> as well. Um, but I never really was sold on his acting. I'm sold on it now after this because he has a very he has a difficult role in, in terms of just, you know, it, it could just be S&M, meaning stand and model, right? But he adds that extra layer. And especially when there are turn of events in the story, I think he he really proves his mettle as an actor. And I'm excited to see LRD in more, uh, more creative roles versus just this kissing booth crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I did like Carrie Mulligan also, Rosamund Pike. Grant, they are over the top, but they are amazing. Um, I think Rosamund is just one of the more beautiful women on the face of the earth. I And I think she's a great actress as well. Um, so yeah, it's a huge watch for me. And I 
would recommend it to everyone. There is one person that I wanted to hear what you thought about that you were glossing over, sir. Oh, okay. So there, there is yet another very difficult role in this film because he is played as very, very unlikable, and that's Archie Medequa. Um he showed some acting chops here. Okay. I will I will okay. give him that because I did not I had did not have kind words for Archie Medequa in Gran Turismo. Um, but I think I think he's really good here. And I know the reason why he's really good is because I absolutely detested his character and wanted to see him throttled or at the bottom of a well. So yeah, he did really well. Maybe with his performance <laughs> in Gran Turismo, I think with hindsight, we can, or maybe more you, because I didn't mind him in that movie, but we can maybe blame some of that on script and direction because he had a yes. more, I would say, thankless role of just playing your underdog in that and not getting to dig his, sink his teeth in deeper. Dick uh, his teeth. <laughs> well, he didn't get to dig his, <laughs> to dig his Freudian. teeth either. Freudian. Uh, let me tell you, folks, gay went around dick. Don't use teeth. I know some people are into it, but around my <laughs> dick, I don't want teeth. <laughs> we have dong. We have so, but dong. but you know what? I and you bring up a really good point, right? When there's a good director, they can really draw out the acting from from an actor and really just sit with them. I mean, I whatever this volatile combination of Kyogen and and Fennel was. I mean, they obviously had absolute trust in each other to be able to pull off some of the crazy stuff that's on screen here. I mean, I I think somebody almost walked out in our in our uh, screening. I mean, some of this is as in your face as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, when you get a good director, they really bring out that performance. And I think that the Farley character, who, by the way, I just saw was spelled F-A-R-L-E-I-G-H, mm -hmm. ye old English spelling. But every time they said Farley, I kept thinking Chris Farley. Yep. And then it was like this bad, like, oh, okay, get back into the movie. But he has a complicated role because, I don't know, he's, he's awful, but then when... Kogan's character starts to like warm to him. You're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? And so his character and his acting is very tight ropey. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I can't say enough about this. It's, it's fantastic. I'm dong aside, even if there was no dong, I would want to see this again. So okay. I, I'm just going to say that. But. Okay. <laughs> so I had texted you cause you had texted me about how much you love this. And I had said, and you can see it in my capture reel, I thought this was a very good film. And, but it's one that I've been kind of wrestling with because as I was watching it, I was enjoying it. There was sometimes you get those movies where you're like, you're you are enjoying them, but you don't love them like you feel like you should. Like you can tell in the moment, the artistry's there, uh, you know, you're invested, but for some reason something's holding you back. And as I've been thinking about this more, what's holding me back seems so unfair to the movie because it's technically what the movie is doing well. Uh, you had mentioned this is a satire. I mean, there's a lot of things going on here, but I think at the end of the day, the whole purpose of this movie is that it's a social satire on the Borgies, the high class, and the superficiality of it all. And to show that superficiality, there's a lot of moments of like dark humor in this that can come off as being, I'll say, facile or pat, but that's not a bad thing. That's the point it needs to be to get its point across. And I think my struggles with it were... Since we have seen so many movies, maybe not like this, but tackle, you know, 
how snooty and how outside of reality the 1% can be, it ended up having this un- unintentional familiarity to it. And there's other elements. I've seen so many comparisons of movies. Heather's is a good comparison. Um, but strangely enough, I don't think any of those comparisons, like I can see little seeds and I'm, I'm trying not to in the spoiler free section to mention a lot of the movies because quite a few of the ones I'm seeing its connections to or a spoiler alert. So, but I think it's like, okay, I can see the concepts or maybe some inklings of that, but I don't think it borrows wholesale from anything. I think it has its own unique vision. The one film, all I will say is that Kyogen's performance in this is phenomenal and I think he will get nominated. There is one other performance of his that this has some parallels to, and I think it's unfair to cast that on this movie because it's not its intent and the character's motivations are different. But that also made me go, ooh, but I did like that performance a bit more. So it's not intentionally doing it, but I think there were times I was thinking of that when I should have been thinking about this movie. And there's elements where I actually thought that some of the beats were somewhat predictable. I didn't know quite know exactly the motivations or how things would go, but I was kind of right on the money with where the, I guess you could say the formula was going. But again, that's purposeful. If anything, the more I got away from this movie, and we'll get to it in the spoiler section, I was like, there's some genius to this movie on how it's presenting its structure. And once you know the structure it's showing from, I'm like, okay, I can understand why you would go with this or why certain things were so facile or pat because it makes sense in context. So this is one where it's, uh, personally, it's very good, but I do think as it's, I don't like the word objective when it comes to art because art is inherently subjective, but I can easily say, yes, this is a great film and I did quite enjoy it, but I just, I'm not as enamored with it after this first viewing because I definitely want to see it again. Um, I think some other people are, but I think now knowing where it's going to take things, because I'll be honest, I was actually initially a little disappointed at the because there's some shocking stuff in this a lot more of it i think is cerebral than i mean not that there's not some visually there's one thing in this that may be audibly gag but if i don't (laughs) want to sell it as this it's in your face but not if you're like us and you've seen a lot of really i wouldn't even say grotesque but very haunting type of cinema and very it's not in that regard like if you're going to go into that and you're going to be sold this bill of goods of like oh it's so shocking in that i think you might come out being disappointed because it's not that kind of a shocking film but the more i get away from them, i'm like i do actually like the fact that it's not it makes its moments that are here more shocking because you're not being overloaded and it makes them more character based and motivation based It just, it came down to, on a first time viewing, this was a very good film that I see turning into a very great film for me. But I, I, but I do have to say, I've been thinking about this since I saw it on Wednesday night. I saw it by myself, but there was only like three other people on my screening and I had the right crowd and we were all, we knew what we were getting into at least that because we were laughing when we needed to laugh. There was quite a few, I will say this, there's quite a few really big laughs in this, especially with those characters and those performances are phenomenal. And that's where I think I'm starting to lean more and more into, okay, I think this is a great film and I think I'm going to love it more and more as I think about it because this does have caricatures, but Pike and Grant are such fantastic actors, but they are, Fennel has such a great grasp on her direction and her script that there's still humanity in these caricatures. And it's almost, and I don't know if maybe that's the point of like, 
even beneath all of this superficiality, there's still human beings within here that have maybe been suffocated by excess. Or if it's meant to still somehow highlight that, hey, maybe sometimes these these aliens to us, you know, can sometimes still seem human. I'm still wrestling with maybe what the point was, but I loved that. And especially Pike, who I've always thought was a great actress. And I, I do agree. I think she wanted the most beautiful, but I think this might be her best performance. I, she knew how to handle caricature so well. There is a, a great gag here where she's talking about, cause she's always talking about all these people she knows. And she was just like, you know, oh, and they're just, they, they have so much thoughts, and I don't want to think. And the way she said it, we all <laughs> laughed so hard that if you walked by our theater, you would have thought it was jam-packed, not just four people. That's how loud we all laughed. And I'm like, the fact that she could do this, but then have when there's, when shit hits the fan later on and have genuine emotions, like not this character, it's just, it's such a great performance and i think it shows how caricatures how tricky that is we we think of it as so easy or again pat like but they it's such a tight rope to walk and i do think that this movie pulls it off well i will say naming the characters like oliver quick in that art that was even for me in this movie i thought was a little bit too (laughs) on the nose and i think part of me was like maybe that's why i was being held back it was just like sometimes you needed to maybe pull back just a little bit for me uh there's only so far you can go with i guess you could say I don't want to say broad humor because there's nothing really broad about this movie. Anytime you think it's going to be broad, it's not. Um, and as for the timelines, I what I think was very interesting. So this takes place in the mid 2000s because when there's two giveaways, when Barry arrives at Oxford, behind him is a class of 2006 banner. And at first, I thought that meant to represent he's the class of 2006. So this will make it what like 2002. But then I think it's just. He's starting his year in 2006 because when he leaves and goes to Saltburn in the summer, that would be the summer of 2007, they're watching Superbad. And at first I was like, well, hold up. How are they watching that if that didn't come out in theaters until August 2007? And immediately I'm like, that's that's the point. They're so fucking rich that they have copies of movies that haven't even come out yet for their own you know, viewing pleasure. So I liked those little touches. I actually think sometimes movies when they want to be set in a certain time period, they either, and they might be here, there's probably eagle-eye viewers who might be like, oh, well, that technically wouldn't be the type of car that would have been around yet, or bullshit like that. But I think here, the little touches or the stuff like super bad that it's, it's front and center, that it's like, hey, I would know if that's wrong. Like, I'm thinking of Turbo Cola. It was supposed to take place in 1999, yet the, they owned a copy of Black Hawk Down, which didn't come until 2001. And they were not Rich Bridges characters in that movie. So as much as I try not to to be that fucking bullshit CinemaSins guy. Sometimes I can do that. I think <laughs> I think in this case, their set design, everything, they were on point with nailing that, you know, time period. And, and, honest, and you talked about the aspect ratio. Every time, and I know we talked about this with uh, Eli Roth's Asteroid City. Wow, what a movie that would have been. Yes, I would absolutely watch Eli Roth's Asteroid Wes, City. I don't know. I know it's because I just saw his Thanksgiving recently, but I don't know how I mixed up <laughs> Eli Roth and Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Please, God, make that happen. <laughs> Wes Anderson's Asteroid. Asteroid City, but I talked about when he uses, especially his Grand Budapest Hotel, when he uses aspect ratios, he changes a lot. Anytime I see a movie that doesn't have what is now considered the traditional 185 or, you know, widescreen format, anamorphic widescreen, I'm like, well, there's got to be a point, right? And sometimes I don't think there is. It's just, hey, it's a nice look. In this case, I'm wondering... If it's meant to be, because you have mentioned on the show that this aspect ratio is sometimes considered the Academy ratio. Um, 
And I think since we think of high class with Academy, I think that's why. I think the reason we have this uh, more boxed in, and you can also make the argument that maybe it's because, uh, you know, the people at Saltburn and even, you know, as we learn more and more about these characters from the start, this whole Oxford, all that, everything is boxed in. That They might think that they have a grasp on reality, but they're all in their own little worlds. Maybe I'm just overthinking it, but I think it worked here. Like it added, it made it gave this a unique feel that set it apart. And I will say, the more I'm talking about this movie, I, I think I am leaning more towards great. Uh, I think a lot of my wrestlings with this movie, I could tell were more just personal. Like I think it's just a familiarity of as much as I'm not complaining about movies taking the piss out of the high class, we should always be fucking taking the piss out of fucking ultra rich one percenters. <laughs> Fuck all of them. I'm yes. not eat the rich, okay? But I think it's and, just. And by the way, I, I was going to say, Red, this is why I love you. This is yeah. why I'm glad we started a, a podcast together because I uh, I will admit to reading a couple interviews with Fennel and with Kogan uh, prior to this. We tr- I try not to, you know, delve into like the press over this. Mm-hmm. The 131 one ratio aspect was chosen because. You are correct. It's like Ooh, looking for yay. a box, like like peeking in. So like his character standing by the window and watching mm. and observe, you know, being an outsider looking in and, you know, being boxed in. That's why she chose it. All so, right. I'm glad I was on the money because yeah. I know I don't know if I ever found out, but I, I don't know if you ever seen the film American Honey uh, and also at Shia LaBeouf, but it is worth also remembering. a Shia film, but yeah. it's worth remembering. And that one has that the same type of aspect ratio. And I had always thought it was because you were seeing the, you know, the opposite of what this movie is very poor folks, you know, trying to go see the world and being taken advantage of. And I thought, well, they have a more boxed in perspective of life because, you know, they don't see. And I almost expected that movie as they went to like the big city for it to like pan out, but it never did. So that made me think, well, maybe there was still to highlight that, you know, they never had that pan out view or maybe I was just overthinking, but I'm kind of glad I was on the money here. Um, Cause again, it doesn't have to be if some movie wanted to do that aspect ratio. And the only reason they wanted to do it was, Hey, why not? I think that's fine too. Not every single, like I've said it before, cinematography. Yes, you should be telling your story with it, but sometimes you can just have a nice shot just because it's a nice shot, you know, because you want to get yeah. on that uh, one great frame or whatever that Twitter uh, feed is where it's just, they take great shots from movies and you just look at it and you're like, that's the reason it's just beautiful. Cause it's art, you know, it doesn't need a reason. Um, but yeah, the more I talk about this movie, I, I do see that I'm getting closer to thinking it's great. And and even though I came out thinking it was very good, I knew I was like, well, this is a personal thing. And I love the fact that this movie is still, in a sense, challenging me. Even if I feel some of its elements are a little bit too familiar, that can be a personal thing. Like at the end of the day, no matter how much we want film to be or art in general to be objective, there's a subjectivity to it. And I think Fennel is very smart to know that and is playing with our subjectivity as these characters have a subjectivity. So I think now that I know exactly what this film is going to be, it's going to be a wild ride, but it's not going to be this absolute gay debauchery machine that I was expecting and it's good, better for it. I see myself, the more I think about it, and I'm definitely going to see it again, going... Okay, it may be familiar, but there's a reason it's familiar and it's doing things just differently enough that it's its own entity. Because I'm seeing all these comparisons, and again, I agree with other people online who are saying, I see them, but I don't think it's cribbing from them. I think it's just more of, we're seasoned film fans, right? We've seen so much, it's hard to never not do that, and I think... 
I came away having that. But I definitely recommend Saltburn to people. I think Kyog- the whole cast is fantastic. Kyogen is fantastic. There's there's a lot I want to talk about. Like I'm kind of tiptoeing around Carrie Mulligan. I almost didn't include her because that character came out of nowhere for me. And I the more I think about it, I love how out of nowhere it came. But I also felt would have been weird not including Carrie Mulligan in that rundown, especially with her connection to Fennel with Promising Young Woman, which I adored. And that was one that ended up being polarizing in our community yes. because I remember I – I'm not going to call his name out here, but somebody didn't like – I guess he was expecting more of a revenge movie and he kept referencing like movies like Miss 45. And I'm like, I love Miss 45, but that's not Promising Young Woman. You're like, you're putting – you're judging a film for what you wanted it to be, not what it is. And that's why I was like wrestling with my feelings with this because I'm like, is some of this me – wanting or expecting something that I didn't get. And yeah, the more the more I get away from this and the more I think about it, I it was always a watch, but I think it's getting a little bit of a harder watch. And it is, even coming out of it, I could have told you, yeah, it's one of the better films this year and it's one of the more artistic. Uh, and this is why this time of year is usually better. Even I like it when they spread it out more throughout the year. This is the time of year where it's like, okay, November, yeah, you're going to still get your blockbusters, but hey, it's award season, so let's get all these, you know, more uh, artsy films out there. And sometimes you just get the, the, the quote unquote Oscar bait biopics. Um, but then sometimes you yeah. get true works Salt of burns. arts like this that are just swinging for the fences. And you get the feeling that they don't care if they get like Oscar noms or whatever. I think they will, but I don't think the goal here from Fennel and company was, Hey, we're going for awards. I think they were just inspired by this story that they concocted. And it's like, if you join us for this ride and think we're worthy of awards, great. But if not, fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Um, just a couple more things and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll segue to spoilers. Um, so when we say shocking, cause I think you're right. I think that there's a potential for this to be blown out of proportion, but some of the stuff that does end up on the screen is shocking, but we're talking about shocking in a humanistic or a sexuality kind of way, because there's gay characters, there's hinting at like bisexuality, um, there's sexuality, there's sex. Um, So that's the kind of shocking. You know what? Shocking more like another Kyogen film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, because I consider that to be one of the more disturbing, shocking films. But But I try not to say that to people because then you have... You, you think, oh, is it going to be like Inside or Martyrs or something like that? I'm like, no, 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 not like that. More psychologically yeah. fucked up. And not that this movie doesn't have some like hints of like weird imagery, but it is more psychological. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like the trailer for it, and the trailer itself was perfectly fine. I think they, they sold exactly what they needed to sell. Like, hey, he's going to go here and you might think it's going to be crazy, but we're not quite sure. But they do throw up those quotes and sometimes quotes get blown out of proportion. And when you see something where it's like, oh, an absolute, you know, bonkers ride or, you know, something like that, you can take yeah. to that being as visually shocking when probably in the review, they're saying it like we are like strap in. It's going to fuck with you psychologically. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say was, um, you know, I'll say this sometimes, you know, the, the sometimes the message is the medium. Mm-hmm. And so we're watching these beautiful images and and these characters that are very, very superficial. And the film is all about going past the superficial and seeing really, 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 really what's underneath. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the strength of this film is that when you get that kicker, um, and then, you know, you begin to see what what is really boiling underneath the surface. And you mentioned it, too, about how 
Grant and Pike are these very sort of like uh, caricatures of like the of the one percenters, but they are human beings, and and some of that emotion is getting forced to come out, and so they can't hide behind the superficiality. Um, so I really did like that. There's another. I won't say it. We'll say it in the spoiler section. But there's another line that Pike says that that had me laughing out loud too. One of those like sort of Tarantino like I probably shouldn't be laughing about that, mm-hmm. but I am. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess. Well, for me, it's a hard. I would say it's a hard watch. I mean, this is this is the kind of movie that I love. That I grew up on watching, you know, and being like, these are the movies I want to see. Or if I ever make movies, this is the kind of crazy shit that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, versus say an Indiana Jones or an Avengers, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. But not a Morbius. Morbius is, you know, a whole. But not a Morbius. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a different. solid watch for me, and it is starting to lean more into great. Uh, but I, I will say a lot of my, I guess you could say, hesitations with the film seem to be more of a personal thing. And and sometimes that's what is so beautiful about art and film is that maybe your first feeling isn't this bowling you over, but it's still making you think and feel. And I haven't stopped thinking about this movie and wanting to talk about it. Like, I've been very excited about wanting to talk about this. Um, so it's definitely worth seeing. Go see it, especially in the theaters. I think it's, I don't know how bit wide of a release it is. I didn't look at its per theater average. I know my screening was empty, but I also saw it on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving because I was able to sneak out. So I think that played into it. I don't think that crowd was making it out on a Wednesday night, but... Um, I think it's going, I think it's going wider as the buzz grows mm-hmm. and as the, as the weekend sort of, uh, as the weekends and the holidays sort of personally, I was happy for us, especially with doing it, that it, it went fairly wide enough, like probably a thousand some theaters. Uh, I was surprised though. I thought this one was one that they would do slower and we wouldn't get that wider until around Christmas or right after selfishly. I'm yeah. happy, but I don't know from a business perspective if or not, but I also, I don't know how much they spent on this, but I feel like this was one. It's like, it's definitely available apparent that they're like we didn't make this movie for money and the studio is not releasing this to make money if they make it great but this is it's your magnolia i forget but the producer of that always said i knew magnolia wasn't going to make money i produced it because i wanted to be involved with what he considered to be an art a great piece of art so i think that's yeah. what you get with a film like Saltburn. absolutely all right, so we are going to segue to our spoiler section. We spoiled the dong, but if you have not seen Saltburn, uh, you're going to want to turn us off because we're going to spoil the shizaz Saltburn out of it in three, two, one. Okay, so the reveal, obviously, mm-hmm. is that he has done this purely for malicious reasons, basically, um, and so that he can essentially take the lifestyle that he has dreamed about and wanted from, from these people. And it, you know, it ends up. So while we're talking about this, I'll segue to the point of why I'm bringing all this up. And then I'm going to ask you a question about something. Um, So in the spoil, in the film, when it's revealed, we get all of these sort of like flashbacks to him setting all of this up. And he becomes this master, you know, manipulator, this diabolical manipulator who is essentially just going to steal this lifestyle from them. And we come to find out that he is either an active part in or very instrumental in, um, well, he is, he's killing these people off and basically taking, you know, their lifestyle. Um, So the reason why I bring that up is because, the movie flirts with, and this is this is what you said about the challenging narrative, is 
you know, you don't know what his actual motivations are. And it the way that the film is set up, you think he's in love with Felix, that he is obsessed with him in a, say, fatal attraction way, both sexual as well as psychosexual, and then like just his lifestyle, right? So I bring this up because um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna prop myself up, but um, you know, I grew up and had a lot of dark thoughts you know, and uh, coming out obviously was, and dealing with my own identity, I've shook hands with the demons as it were, right? And the thing, like you said, film can be a subjective experience. Um, I have been in more than one situation where I have been infatuated with somebody. And I, looking back on it, I don't know if it was because I was in love with that person, right? Or if I wanted to just be that person. And that's, it's very, I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure people go through this, but they don't maybe actualize it or think about it the way that I have. But that's the thing that struck me about this film so much was that I can identify with wanting to both be, be somebody and be in love with them, but then also wanting to structure a life around them or wanting to destroy them. I know that sounds terrible. <laughs> I know that the listeners are probably like, yo, cupcake is fucked up, but like killer cupcake, man. Like I, Holy shit. <laughs> but, but like I said, unless you've been in that situation and you've, examined it and understood it that was the thing that like really struck me and i connected with the material and then the problem is is that with this with with the twist it turned out it was just purely diabolical but at the same time like i said i just as complicated as as what i just said is i think that this movie walks that tightrope you know and I and that's why I think that this film will be very very polarizing for people because they're not they're either not going to identify with it or the the twist is just going to change it. But I think that that's a very real thing that this character Barry Cogan's character is going through. This you know obviously it wasn't love he wanted to be him right. Mm. So uh, anyway, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Uh, and then the other question I had for you was Scooter came out of the movie and said. Um, did you get the sense that he killed the Carrie Mulligan character? And I was like, I don't know. Hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because I did that. That's actually a good thought. That thought did not come across to me, and I can see definitely how he would have because she does just mysteriously. Well, just disappear. even just psychologically, like yeah. just psychologically putting her through the machinations and then having the family sort of Push jettison her. Yeah, her. I think that definitely. And then she killed herself. Ooh, that's actually, honestly, I think I, for a cerebral area, I think that's actually a better turnout because honestly, I just, yeah, because you almost have to because, well, because I would have just assumed, you know, she was this, you know, poor dear Pamela and she was gonna, you know, self-destruct anyway and that she didn't really, because she's really just there as a representation of what Pike thinks is, you know, oh, I'm, you know, sticking up for somebody that I deem being this weird, you know, out there type yeah. personality. So like I the collecting strays. That's yeah. why Farley is there too. Exactly. You know? And even, you know, uh, Kyoga, uh, you know, Oliver Quake, yeah. that's why he's there, the collecting strays, but that she's this unique. So I just would have assumed that she left, 
because she is this just almost wanderer. And like, once we get to that twist of like, he orchestrated this and he basically took their whole like home and life away that she is such an afterthought that she wouldn't, even if she like tried to piece the puzzles together, she wouldn't be able to do anything. But I actually think. Right. But he had isolated. He, he had isolated. To isolate the family by kicking her out. And you are right. And actually, I think you and I don't know why, I guess maybe that's another reason why I think, uh, I'm going to grow to like this film even more because that is an aspect that I did just kind of think it was just there to sh- highlight the strays in anatomy, uh, anatomy uh, analogy, but no, not having, I think, yeah. yeah, I think you and Scooter, I think are onto something there. I think that makes more, more sense that he would have, even if he didn't kill her, like you said, physically isolating her and that pushed her over the edge. Like he ostracized her, no doubt. Yeah. And he was, or he yeah. was the orchestra because, because he does really start putting those thoughts into pike's head uh El, you know the whole time like oh well you know i got this feeling and that thing oh you're so perspective you're, you're so perceptive yes oliver yes you're so um, observant um which led to the best line where they they talk about the news that she had like killed herself or something and mm-hmm. then pike is like oh she's always trying for attention yeah yeah that was <laughs> or oh, that, or she's always vying for attention it's like okay she just killed herself yeah that, and then that she just Tosses it off like mm, attention seeker. <laughs> that got a laugh out of us, and I think I know you were thinking, "Oh, should I be laughing at this?" And yes, you should because you're not laughing with the joke; you're laughing at the absurdity that somebody would think yes. that. That's what you're. Yeah. And I think that's especially in comedy nowadays, people don't always realize, like, "Oh, what's the point of a dark joke?" To laugh at the notion that something could be humorous from something dark, not oh, that something dark in itself is. We got to laugh with or at the people. You know what I mean? Um, right. But yeah, I think, and you know what I think is really great about this film, the more I think about it, um, is I I do think that reveal does show that this was more about him wanting that lifestyle, and that plays into the superficiality, social commentary, that he would so badly want this basically emptiness, because when you see them at all these parties and everything, they have everything, but they seem bored. It's like kind of makes you think of like anything like from The Great Gatsby or whatever. It's like, okay, we're going to look at these people that have everything, but they really have nothing, because once you have everything, what do you aspire for you know and and, they're not happy and they're not happy none of them are happy (laughs) and like he's not going to be happy but what i think is really interesting is i think that was his goal originally with felix but i do think if he didn't fall in love with felix as felix himself he definitely fell in love with the idea of what felix represented and that was himself because i do think when felix then he does kill a felix like that's genuine that he in his way genuine his fucked up genuineness of like basically molesting the gravesite as he um because it's like that was him fucking the dirt of the of the freshly buried felix gravesite was a shocker. And that wasn't even the, the thing that made me all to be gag. It was the tongue punching the bathroom or the bathtub drain after. Oh my I've never liked uh, the I would drink their bathwater. I always thought that was disgusting, even when people thought, yes. you know. And I know, I think I, Large William, Big Willie of uh, GGTMC. I can't remember what movie they were reviewing. I want to say it was a French film. But he had always said there was a movie, one of the movies they reviewed, they actually, a character does drink the bathwater and he goes, you hear the saying, you don't think much of it. Once you see it, oh my God, is it disgusting? And I'm like, I think this probably took that to another level because I'm like, oh my God, yeah. the drain. Like I legitimately started to get sick. So there is- And th- not only did it have like, not only did it have his sweat and the soap, but his character was jerking off in the mm-hmm. bathwater 
which makes it even crazier that he just sets his face in it and is like Ugh, licking the drain and the oh, well adding the adding the salt crazy. to salt burn i'll tell you that yeah. um, <laughs> but i think that that there, there was and whether he it wasn't a traditional like we would have thought at first of infatuation of being in love with felix i think he took to felix as this is who i aspire to be so even though i had to kill off felix i'm more upset about basically almost a, a part of me dying here. So because yeah. when the sister who he, you know, ends up, you know, manipulating and, you know, going down on her because, you know, a real man loves the woman any time of the month type of scenario. Uh, that was, Oh my God, that was, um, and that's another sort of shocking moment is, you know, she's like, Oh, it's that time of the month. And he's like, I don't care. And then he's smearing blood on her face and like torso. Um, yeah, that was, Ugh, that was crazy. And what's weird is that that scene comes at a point in the movie where you start to think, you know, he's in love with Felix, but he's getting into the sort of uh, frame of mind that the people at Saltburn have, which is, you know, we're rich. We can do whatever the fuck we want. And you start to think like, oh, OK, he's he's testing it out he's testing out this brazenness this taking what you want and being forthright or whatever and then later the film just bolsters that all of that is who he really was to begin with mm-hmm. right yeah, it, and he just ugh. yeah and, and then ooh. and then like that whole scene that he has with the sister after the death and she's in the tub and she's oh like oh and i realized you've only known him for like six months and that's when i was like okay so he loved more this especially once we got the twist this idea of, of who he was and then not just also having this confidence but this condescending confidence that he uses to grant tremendously when grant's like i think trying to be nice like i think you should leave now and he goes respectfully i don't think i should i think i should stay and it's just yeah. that and like grant is not met his equal um so in this well one- it's also it's also curious too he he gets that brazenness with pike where he's just like well you know he act that he acts that way because you're so fucking beautiful or whatever and you think it's going to lead to him sleeping with her right because of all the things that we've seen but he doesn't Mm-mm. and so it's funny that 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 him acting that way with pike doesn't come off as a okay he's being a manipulator because we of all the craziness that we've seen before and we just think you know it's him getting into that and and taking that mindset but it's more than that yeah that's why i think that the screenplay is so fantastic yeah and and, and honestly that's kind of why the more i think about this i am i, I want to praise the screenplay because when i first came out of it and i'm not going to say i knew exactly every little beat like oh i knew he was gonna you know try to take them over but i could kind of see where things were going i knew i had a feeling like Either his dad didn't die or obviously he did not come from this broken family. So when that happened and they had that you know great scene of you know Felix taking him there and realizing this dude lied to me, but I'm going to egg him on basically during this whole thing. And it's, he came from a nice middle class family or whatever. And even what almost set me off, and I actually immediately came around to this on the drive home. I'm like, okay, this is where I do think it structures smarter that I'm giving it credit for was when he's starting to, cause he's kind of been narrating everything from the beginning when he's starting to explain his actions. I'm like, okay, these twists or like when he's, when they're re-showing us like how he manipulated them, I'm like, it's, I hate to use that phrase. It's not as clever as it thinks it was. And I thought, was well, that not? And then I was like, well, wait a minute, this is all from his perspective. So yeah, it's not supposed to be as clever as one would think, because he's not as clever as he thinks he is. He's just clever enough to fool the other people, these rich bougies, who think that they're very clever, and that's why they're up to this 
area where a lot of time it just comes down to manipulation. You got there because you were able to manipulate other people that are arguably easily to manipulate or secretly wanted to be manipulated in some psychological fucked up way. So then I was right, like- because they're vain. They're vain. they're vain. So and then that, I was, that is easier than emotionally- almost as easy as somebody being emotionally crippled to manipulate. Exactly. And that's where I came yeah. away going, okay, well, this is why it's intentionally facile approach is actually its strength. And some of my maybe hesitations towards it is unfair because it's more of a me, be, me thing because to say, well, you know, it held me back because I wanted to go further or because, you know, it was just facile film, what needs to be. And if I want to grade a film for what it's intending to be, well, this thing knocks it out of the park then. Because when you get to that reveal and he's like, especially when he's doing that crazy naked dance and you see his, you know, nice big dong flying around, um, you kind of go like, well, we once you kind of figure it out, it's like I felt like I was ahead of everyone, but I'm like, I was supposed to feel like that. I was supposed to realize that, yeah. you know, he he fooled the people who are pretty easy to fool because they don't know what they want anymore. And there's some great sequences that show that after Felix dies and that's that really uncomfortable, you know, dinner sequence or, you know, breakfast sequence, you know, Medekwe, that's where he really has this turning point because he's having this breakdown after coming in and trying to weasel his way back. But then you can see his humanity. You see Kyogen finally starting to spin those wheels, but you see Grant like having this mixture of wanting both wanting to still be that one percenter of we need to keep up appearances, but you can also tell it's he doesn't know how to cope with the loss of his son. So it's yeah. just like let's ignore the fact that the coroner's out there and I'm gonna snap on my poor butler right a crush on, by the way. He's a he's future husband material. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I was gonna put him into the roll call, but I didn't. But when he's like trying to mess with the curtains, like we I was just talking the other week uh, with friends about like what movies are anxiety inducing. And I was like, well, you know, uncut gems and good time are like panic attacks in film form. That sequence yeah. there was a panic attack in film form when they're trying to wrestle with the drapes. And then, you yeah. know, you're having, and you can see how people are manipulating each other, but you're also again, seeing the humanity in Grant and Pike because yes, there is that we need to keep up appearances, but you can tell that, reality is hitting in and this idea uh yeah it's just ooh that seems great and then even when he sees pike near the end and she's in like going to that coffee shop she almost doesn't seem yeah. like the same type of person anymore because she has nothing and she finally realizes she didn't have anything to begin with, but what she did have, she took for granted. She took for Richard E. granted. Waka waka. Sorry, I had to sneak oh that in there. Oh my God. Um, Excellent. So yeah, the more, the more I think about this film, the aspects that I thought were, even if intentionally, that I thought might have been holding it back are kind of its brilliance. And I think I'm I'm starting to really start to love it more and i now that i know what to expect fully i want to go back and i want i want to go back and watch just how great because i know this script would have been smart enough how great felix was in manipulating everyone and now that i know you know from the start how he was even manipulating that nerd who was kind of an asshole and how he was manipulating the assholes and everyone in oxford you know, I, I want and his family too. Like that whole scene with the family, like you could tell the dad is kind of like finally hit that spot where he's, you know, tired of dealing with his son, but the mother is just like, well, you know, he's just so special. And, you know, if he doesn't want to be here for, you know, dinner, we don't want to mess with him. We like, she is happy almost. Like she knows that her son does not 
respect her almost in a way. You get this vibe that she gets this feeling that he is ashamed in a weird way, but she loves him so much that she wants him to have what she considers correct in life this american dream of being in oxford and all that because she doesn't know that felix is gonna come from saltburn probably that she's willing to accept that and you feel like the father is kind of like why are we encouraging this you know but you could so you know that that scene was another great point for me for the screenplay because you know it becomes obvious that like Felix is the way he is and Farley is the way that they are and Grant and Pike are the way that they are because of their money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that, that is their trauma. They don't want for anything. And that has spurned on these bizarre personalities. Right. So that's their trauma. What I think was interesting about that scene of him, uh, you know, Felix taking Oliver back to where his family was. First of all, there's the shock of the reveal that his dad is alive, in fact, alive, right? Because he had told everybody, um, and that's how he ingratiates himself into um, Fox's circle. Uh, Felix's Fox, Fox Felix the foxhole. Fox. Felix Fox. That's he's a porn star. I don't know why. I thought, <laughs> hey, I thought Eli Roth <laughs> when I meant Wes Anderson. So I think yours is at least more fair. And <laughs> mine was way out of yeah. left field. Yeah. Um, but that's where uh so he initially says to felix i just got a call from my mom my dad is dead right and then that's how the he starts to weave his web and 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 get into it, get into their circle but what i thought was interesting about the char- that about oliver's character is when you see his parents i mean sure they're kind of like oh you know whatever this and that and, and they're they're proud of him or whatever but what you see is that he doesn't come from a traumatic background, Mm-mm. right? The dad's not a drunk. He's not abusing her. The mom is super sweet. She's not some shrill, awful person. And so what's great about that scene is that he doesn't have trauma. He's just evil and diabolical on his own. He has self-inflicted trauma because his trauma in his mind is that he's not the 1%. He's not ultra rich. He's not Oxford. Well, yes. And he looks yes. at middle. But the parents didn't give it to him. No, his they didn't. No, exactly. Didn't his childhood yeah. didn't. But because he wanted this, he looks at middle class, like just how the you're saying, like, you know, Felix and his family, uh, oh, no, yeah, Felix, uh, how they look at money almost as their trauma. He also sees money as a trauma, but in a different light because he thinks being middle class in itself is traumatic when it's not. That's the norm. And right. what honestly, a lot of people, I mean, I keep saying American dream, but obviously this takes place in England. Um, but still what that general dream, yes, there are people that want the 1%, but when you talk to people, most of their dream is like, we aspire for what used to be the more traditional middle class, that just good life. And that's what he had. But when you have it, it's like, do you become obsessed with what you can't have? And like he did from a young age. And like when his mother's talking about, oh, we never made friends, we're already starting to sense. And as the movie goes on, we're like, he didn't make friends because he didn't want to make friends. And he specifically pushed people away and probably only brought in people that were awful, kind of like the very obnoxious and kind of cruel nerd. Uh, But that's like, that's the type of company he would want to keep because then he's, because that's somebody that's more, in their appearance outwardly cruel. So you can think, well, right. this poor, instead of poor dear Pamela, poor dear Oliver, when really he's far crueler and diabolical than anybody. It's just yeah. the quiet ones that'll get you. You know what I mean? And it's, yes. yeah, I think that that scene with the family, and I think that was a good turning point for me too, because that could have been more cookie cutter than it was. And that was the one where I'm like, this actually isn't that 
facile or pat of a social commentary here because of the way they're handling it. It is deeper in the way that, yeah, and just his uncomfortableness and how Felix, and you can tell that, yes, Felix is now like he knows that Oliver lied to him. So he's kind of playing up this fact of like messing with him while he's like, oh, we could stay for dinner and that. But you also get the feeling that Felix does genuinely like his family. And it's like, this is a warmth that he's not used to just this. Yeah. Not having- well, they also they also discuss the fact that apparently there was this gentleman named Eddie who was a friend of theirs from the last summer. Mm-hmm. And Eddie had tried to have a relationship with his sister, and that's why they broke bad. So he's kind of, you know, shame on the Oliver character in some ways. He knew that trust mm-hmm. was a big issue with Felix. And so if you ask me, he didn't try hard enough to make Felix walk away from from mm-hmm. visiting his family in what he thought was a good gesture. Mm-hmm. And that's what's also interesting about the screenplay is that after that, with the lie, you know, Oliver knows that he's broken Felix's trust. And it's like, now what is he going to do? How is he going to turn this around? And I love that directly after that, there's the Halloween scene and Oliver shows up and he's got the horns, mm-hmm. right? Which you think like, you think to yourself, oh, okay, it's Halloween or whatever, but it's actually really who he is. Yeah, and, and that's some horrible, of the parts demonic, I think it still creature. works in this film because it's still showing like even the rich would be almost too on the nose because of course when he, you know, basically kills Felix, Felix is wearing the angel wings and he is wearing the horns. So there's a part of me, it's like, even for me, I thought that was a little bit too on the nose, but the more I think about it, I'm like, again, well, I think that was the point. And I, I th- well, that, that, and they're, they're underneath the Minotaur statue mm-hmm. that's holding the two, the two severed heads. And there's a, there's a, that scene that I alluded to where he and um, Pike are talking and he's like, you're fucking gorgeous or whatever. There's that statue in the background of, of, of the person there's a man standing over, I think, another man pulling his hair, and he's holding up the the rock to like to like bludgeon him or whatever. That could be even mm-hmm. Cain and Abel in some ways. Definitely, um, and also so with that party too. It's pretty obvious, but I like it the fact because it was actually uh, it wasn't Halloween. It was his uh, birthday party they made in this weird mask. Oh, that's ball. right. It was uh, the Midsummer Night Midsummer, Midsummer Night Stream. That's what it thing. was. Yeah, but like you can tell like. When she had mentioned it at that point, like, yes, he had, you know, Oscar, Oliver had kind of already ingratiated himself with them, but you can tell they didn't care about, or Pike didn't care about throwing this party really for Oliver. She just wanted to throw a party. They needed to have a reason to have, because there's like, we can invite all your friends, a hundred, oh, it'll probably be 200. And like, nobody knows who he, Oliver is there. Like, you know, there's that great gag where they're all like, happy birthday to, you somebody go, what was his name again? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, And oh my, and then the shot of like Oliver's face, just like. You know, he's smiling because all these people are wishing him happy birthday, but then nobody remembers his name and you just see the smile drop and then he blows the candles out. Oh, so excellent, good. excellent. Yeah, but like yeah. that whole thing of just like, we just need to have a party to have a party. Who cares? Like we would throw a party for, a you know, a, a ringworm or a tapeworm we found or something the out in the yard. The butler. <laughs> Actually, the butler deserves his own party. That poor guy probably will never get one. Oh um, my God. I, the, the novel that he could write, oh I guess. Yeah. Um, which brings me to... Our fantastic ending of Kyogen. Well, actually, before that, there is a horror there. So out of all the things that we've seen, there was one one scene that gave me the shivers and, and made me sort of like uh and horrified me, which is when um, you know, yeah. 
Pike is on her sort of like deathbed and he ends up turning off the respirator when he straddles her and then he pulls the tube like out of her out of her like neck or uh, mouth or whatever. And it's this like three foot long thing that he just like throws out like a party favor or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, I was horrified. So but this brings us to the ending, which is everybody's dead, everybody's dead. And he basically has Saltburn to himself. And so there is a extended tracking shot of him walking through the castle, completely naked and dancing. And he is letting it all hang out, folks. His hairy butt cheeks, his uncut, you know, Irish dong, it's all out there. Um, and then the sort of final shot is is he's he's dancing in front of this uh table that has uh, this sort of cheeky little family thing set up of like marionettes of each of the family members. And then on top of it are each of the stones where they had set up this sort of ritual where somebody dies, you write their name on the stone and then you throw it into the water. And it, it appears that he has gone up since he's killed all of them. He's gone and gotten all of the rocks and they're on top of this like thing. And he's literally put the family in a wood box, right? And then he dances away. So the big question to this is, Scooter, after the movie, said, as much as I really enjoyed watching him dance around completely naked, I don't think you needed that. So how did you feel about this naked dance? Did you think it was appropriate for the story? Did you think it was overly hyperbolic? What did what was your feeling on that? Did we need it? So I do think it was overly hyperbolic, but just like I'm saying with everything else, I think that was the point. And I think it was needed. Obviously, I'm going to say that because I wanted to see Kyogen. And they teased me earlier too when he was going to like the, the field and like you could see his butt cheeks and I kept going, turn the fuck, get the camera on the yes. other angle. Come on, <laughs> God damn it. I want to see some dong. Uh, so they were just building towards it. But no, I think it was needed. And I think if you would have just ended with maybe him pulling out, you know, uh, the, like you said, like basically the respirator or whatever that, you know, Pike had, or even him just walking into Saltburn, it would have served its purpose. But I think showing him doing this really bizarre naked dance and then seeing like all the rocks and that, I really just sold his psyche at that moment. And also I think we talk about movies having to stick the landing. I think that sticks it better in this case because if I'm complaining about maybe sometimes the movie's a little bit too familiar, well, if it would have just ended with him getting salt burn and walking in, that would have felt almost too familiar. And knowing how, especially when you get that final narration, how absolutely diabolical this dude was, of course this motherfucker would dance around like this, that he won this. Yes. And to him, this is the biggest treat. So I think it was needed and I think it also is needed just because that will stick with people that probably don't even like this movie. Uh, and that is kind of what you want to attain to. So I, I could see where Scooter's coming from, but for me, I was like, I was actually the one time I was really happy with them going so on the nose, on the Pope's nose, yes. as it were. Because uh, yes. I'm like, okay, you really solidify what this movie was. And I think that also helped me. I think I would have gotten there, but right as I was driving home and thinking about the movie, that scene made me go, well, hold up. This is why the him narrating and me normally not liking it when they show things that we just saw and like, hey, I don't need my hand held. And I'm like, well, no, my hand wasn't being held. It's just, that's how easy it was for him to manipulate these people and how dumb that they probably were or not even dumb, just ignorant that they were, that they would have needed to be told this, that yeah, some of this obvious stuff near the end that you should have seen was me manipulating you. You were just too lost in your own world to notice it. Yeah. And that's, you know, honestly, before I get into concurring with your uh, opinion, 
um, and why Scooter is wrong. Um, <laughs> but um, but honestly, what I what I love about this kind of film is is again, I think it'll be polarizing because you know we're meant to identify with Keoghan's character, we're meant to see it from his perspective. But at the end of the day, when you're thinking about this too. I think, you know, I already went to my dark place by telling you I identified with um, loving somebody and wanting to either be them or destroy them. <laughs> but um, but uh, my, you know, my other dark side basically says, I think the other message of this film is, is are you, are you the manipulated people or are you the manipulator in mm -hmm. your life? And so that I think makes the film even more impactful because it's kind of like, Oh yeah, he's diabolical. And then it's like, wait a minute. Oh shit. Am I, am I Rosamund Pike in this scenario? Mm -hmm. Am I Farley in this scenario? You know what I mean? Am I a stray that's been collected and like moved along? So it's, that's, I think the screenplay is just so brilliant on so many levels, but you know, thematically and visually it works that he's completely naked because now there's no more artifice. There's no more superficiality. This is who he is. He's mm -hmm. naked. And I have to go back and see it, but I'm pretty sure that in all those flashbacks, they do a visual thing where when he comes into the university, he's got like, he's got his coats on, he's got his sport coat underneath it. He's got like a, a scarf on or whatever. And then as the flashbacks go on, He's he's wearing less and less layers, and then we get to the new dancing. So okay, um, I like yeah, that. it just it all it all it all works. Yeah. And, and you know what? And to so, your point too, every single character in this movie manipulates to a certain degree. Even poor dear Pamela, oh yeah. who I want to go back to because when Carrie Mulligan showed up, I my first thought was like. Did she just walk off the set of a Tim Burton movie, like his version of Alice? Oh my Wonderland god, I Dark know. Shadows. She, I generally was yeah. like, was she in his Dark Shadows? Because I saw it, but I don't really remember it, and I, I didn't see that she. Well, was she in gave it. a very Helena Bonham Carter yes. like, "Hi, I'm eccentric, and I'm just yeah. gonna wear the," you know. But even she's <laughs> so. a manipulator because, like, obviously, Pike tries to have the really dark thing, and like, oh, she needed attention even when she took her own life. But even not, I'm not saying that was her manipulation, but just you could argue. Her appearance, not everyone that looks like her, but poor dear Pamela, she has this crazy outwardly appearance because she knows that's what's going to make her stand out to these folks. Like, because right. I automatically got this vibe that Pamela would not dress like this under normal circumstances. This isn't who she is. There are a lot of people who would, even Helen Bottom Carner, where it's like, no, they just dress like that because that's who they are. They're not trying to stand out. That's just how they com feel comfortable. Right. That's not her skin. She just, this is the skin that gets pike infatuated with her because she's, yeah, now she's this, an attention seeker she is the stray that stands out she's not you right. know because honestly i think that's what's great about farley is like he kind of is a stray that really doesn't stand out all that much compared to everyone else that they probably had with an with an oxford net he's your stereotypical looking type of ritzy kid the only stray portion is that we discover that his families are having financial issues and we don't know how you know if he's that yeah. poor if he's a scholarship kid or honestly i think i got the vibe that his family was probably still maybe not a one percenter but maybe rich but now something happened that you know they're not going to be for much longer like whatever investments they made yeah screwed up because and i i, I got the sense that maybe like in my mind, I just quickly created this backstory that like maybe their families had had some sort of business transaction mm -hmm. and that it fell through. And that's why he would have gone 
to Richard E. Grant to be like, I need, I need some money. I need to borrow some money from you. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because unlike everyone else we see, and a great, I'm sure other ones do, but he is the one that you know he's having this conversation with Felix and talking about being uncomfortable, having to just blatantly ask. And when he gets kicked out of the house initially, and they make it sound like that's not the first time it's happened, because when he comes back right. to the party, he's just like, I can easily get back in, and like they don't obviously. Felix dying probably distracted them, but they don't, they let him come to breakfast again. So you get the feeling that even though, um, you know, he was set up by Oliver, you know, sending these, these emails and that like, he's probably done this shit before too, because both Felix and the sister Annabelle are like, how, why would it be this dumb? Like this time, you know, you get the feeling that this has been a recurring thing all their life. And you are probably right. He probably, they're probably family friends and they, his family is probably business partners, but now it's more awkward because Grant probably sees his father as, well, you were the reason we're losing some of this money. Even though to this family, that's fucking nothing, but to his family, who's just rich, they are only rich enough to, if they make a mistake, it all goes away. As opposed to this right. family is the Disney, as we were talking earlier, where they can have colossal failure after colossal failure, yet they're still not going to implode. They need to do something before they do, but one bad year for them is a bad year that would have killed anyone else. You know, right. any other exactly. company. Plus, there's also the undercurrent, too, that like, you know, obviously Farley probably is in love with Felix. Um, and then for what, you know, either because he is truly straight, not bisexual, or maybe because Farley is a person of color, it would never happen. Right. And so you've got that other undercurrent, which just now that we're talking about this, I mean, this is really about an alpha predator that got the best of other little mm-hmm. alpha predators. Yeah, exactly. You know? it's, so it's yeah. uh, almost in a way it's a fool taking advantage of other fools. Yeah, exactly. Foolery. Tom Foolery. Tom Foolery. See, that's the thing. If they would have called Oliver Quick Tom, then that would have been even more on the news. So maybe I should be happy with they they did the Oliver (laughs) Oliver Quick Quick instead of (laughs) Oliver Twist. Uh, I still think that was a bit too much. I I wish we could have had... Oliver's fine, but I don't know. Maybe just a different last name would have. One that's not closer to Twist or making me think of it. Oliver Pumpernickel. I don't know. Also, I just... Two, two other notes. One is the cinematography is great. I loved all the different colors to also accentuate moods. So that dinner becomes all red. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When they draw the curtains and then, you know, when, it, when he's at the, at the sort of birthday party, there's all these different colors like blue, red, whatever. It's very disorienting. And I may be misremembering and just putting this now, but with those scenes of red, I remember Madekwe really being drenched in like red and just despair. But I feel like when you yeah. went back to Oliver, there was like more reds on the bottom, but there was like a shade of black kind of over top of him to kind of show that. And I could be completely misremembering it, but I feel like the way that they had that set up was like, you know, the, the dark shade from one of the angles made his look a yeah. little bit more distorted. And I, maybe I'm just putting that in there and I'm going to go back and be like, Oh no, it was just red entirely, which still works. But I feel like his was a little well, bit different. Actually. I, and again, I, I would need to see it again, but, um, uh, Linus, Linus Sangrin, who's a Swedish, the cinematographer, he was also doing this weird thing where, and maybe these are, maybe if I go back and watch it, these are points where his manipulation is winning, but there are these distinct shots where 
uh, Oliver is connecting with the Saltburn family members, and they're shot in a way where the sun is on his face, but the others in the conversation are either dark or slightly obscured or in a different light. So I have to go back and see that, but there are these, there were, I know I picked up on some of those weird, unique shots where there's like this, this sun illuminating his face and it might be at the points where his manipulation is winning. So, uh, yeah, hands off to, uh, hats off to not hands off. Jesus. Um, hats off to Take um, my hands off. Dongs <laughs> off. Oh my God. Dongs off. Dongs off to San, um, Sandgren for some amazing cinematography. And the other thing I wanted to add was uh, we ended up seeing Napoleon the next day. Um, so I saw this with Randy and Scooter, and then we saw Napoleon the next day. Do you know who has a, a, a somewhat prominent part in Napoleon? Not somewhat prominent, I'm sorry. Who has a bit part in Napoleon who shows up in a couple scenes? Are you going to tell me Archie Medecque? No, the Carrie, butler. Oh, the butler. Oh, ooh, now, you know what? I haven't yeah. seen Napoleon so, yet. I had said to you, I'm, I'm curious because I like Ridley Scott and can kind of be into those. So I will definitely get to it in the theaters. It's just going to be one of those not planning for it. It's just going to be like, all right, I've got time. Let's go see it. You want me to tip my hat? Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah, I, 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 I've been hearing mixed things and I'm, I'm thinking I might like it and i'm not a big history buff so i don't really care if it's historically inaccurate but i think i'll take to it as like oh if i just look at it as big battles but i keep getting the feeling that it's as much as i like ridley scott sometimes he can be almost too obnoxious with the way that he handles drama and i feel like I and got biopics the, and biopics <laughs> especially and i felt like that vibe from those trailers so i saw I, I yeah i still feel I like to it's tell worth- you the Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like it's going to still be worth seeing it on a big screen regardless. So, and I've got unlimited, so it's not like I'm paying out of pocket, but you know. Definitely, definitely worth the big screen. Could have been shorter. Fight scenes are amazing, but it's really, really empty. Also, Phoenix Phoenix and um, Kirby, their relationship is really the most stimulating thing about that entire film. And even that just kind of mm. falls by the wayside. Also, Joaquin Phoenix has no accent in the film. So I was kind of like, yeah, that was bothering me in the trailers. Th- is this thing where he can just walk in and do his thing and not have a fucking accent while everybody around you has one. So that was really, really annoying. Yeah. I might not but, care about historic or accuracy because I'm not that bu- much of a history buff, but even I'm like, you're going to do Napoleon without an accent. Like what? Uh, this is a bonus review and for Scott. All folks. Just let it go. Yeah, well, yeah, y'all got a bonus review for Napoleon, but anyway, uh, any anything else about this? I think uh, we no, both I think I really think I, loved it. Yeah, I was gonna say I think I went from saying it was very good. Uh, again, I know one of the reasons why I like the watch or skip or the thumbs up, thumbs down is sometimes I wrestle too much with a five star system. But for those that do follow me on Letterbox, I did just change my because I had a three and a half out of five because I thought it was very good and I thought that's been in the middle I went up to at least a four for now because I do think it deserves that four out of five into that great territory so I think this is why I love doing this podcast and having discussions with friends is I think the more I think about this movie and talk about it I'm getting closer to that great camp I I did definitely love it and it is one of the better films of the year that's no doubt and I will be surprised that this doesn't get award nominations I, I think the academy well at least i mean i think keogan's probably a shoe in for at least an, a nomination for best actor which it's one of those oh, rare he times he's better it's got to be one of those rare times of if that happens going from being nominated one year for best supporting actor to the next year almost graduating to main actor i'm sure i know it's probably happened it had to have um, did he did he get nominated for killing of a sacred deer he did not or did 
No, just, uh, he should have. He should have. He I think that I, I still think that's his absolute best performance. And that's why uh, that's why I forgot to bring up. I thought it was unfair of me, but because there are similarities just in twist, not in motivation. But since there's that similarity of this idea of a character, both played by Keoghan infecting a family, basically. Yeah. I kept going, ooh, I'm thinking of killing of a sacred deer, even though their motivations and elements are different. And I adore. Well, adored might be a bad word for that film, but still, I thought that film was a masterpiece. I loved yeah. that film, and I was surprised when there was no like nominations coming out of it. So there was like, but then it was I couldn't say, oh, the movie made me think of a better movie because they did not intentionally make me think of that movie. It just happens to be, oh, Keo, because Keoghan's even his characteristics in this movie are different. But it's just my mind going, well, hey, there was a movie a couple of years ago where he also did something similar. But that's where the similarities end. So that's that was another thing yeah. of me wrestling with my own personal i guess film demons if you will of like it's not <laughs> fair to this movie to be like oh it's making me think of killing a sacred deer because it's not trying to right uh keogan keogan's really coming along as an actor i mean i so i uh when we walked out i was like not bad for a guy who's in the mcu right and randy mm-hmm. was like he was in the MCU, and I'm like, yes, he was actually um, Eternals. So I oh think. Oh my it's... god, he was! How did I forget to put that on the list? Oh, oh, wow. you forgot too? <laughs> wow, I did forget that he was. Now I remember him in Eternals 100. Yes. Though Eternals is the most, even regardless of if you feel it, it achieved it or not, it is the most art house I would say of all the MCU movies. Oh, most definitely. It's I. I also saw it twice. So yeah, I, I liked so it. I thought I, it was good. I, I loved it, but. But yeah, Kogan's coming along. If you all haven't seen it, there was a there's a movie called Seventy One. He's in it. He's really good. There's a, another one called Mammal, um, in which he's naked also, but it's Ooh. very very good. It's about him and a relation him and his relationship with an uh, I think I can't remember was it an older an older woman I think, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, but he you know banshees and then green Knight and uh, all of that. Like he's just really coming along as an actor and I just want him to stop boxing because you can see the scarring on his face. So please stop, stop being an amateur fighter, concentrate on your acting. Stop, stop being a baby Mickey Rourke in that sense and just be the Mickey Rourke as an actor. We don't don't want you uh, unfortunately getting neat necessary, but unintentionally botched uh, plastic surgery. Yes, please. No, uh, Anything else? No, I think that's. I think it's good. I would change my verdict. I think I would go to a, a strong watch now. I think uh, the more I've Excellent. thought about this and talked about this, I, I do think this is. A, 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 I think I'm comfortable saying it's a great film. Yeah, it for me, it's definitely it's a hard watch, and not just because of the dogs. Yeah. So, yeah. which wasn't even hard. That's impressive that Barry had that kind of a. You think he was uh, fluffing a little bit though? Like, because I always wonder that. Like, do you think when you, so? Well, here's so here's. Here's my take on it because we were like, is it a prosthetic? And the thing, the thing about the okay, I'm gonna listeners. Here's the tip for figuring out whether it's a prosthetic or not. Look at the pubic hair. Mm-hmm. If the pubic hair is overly saturated, right, it's probably a prosthetic. So if you watch the show uh, Minx on HBO, like the their their pubes are huge, like they're like fucking the topiary from The Shining, <laughs> the Overlook, okay, like it's huge. But here in the dance, I think that is his weenus. I think it's yeah. totally his weenus. I think in the the dirt fucking scene though, he wore a prosthetic. I hope he did during that. I don't want to. I think hope about he that. did too. I don't want to think about that. You t- I also. 
I mean, obviously, I would assume, especially with the framing, that he wasn't actually tongue punching a bathroom drain or a bathtub drain. I'm sure that was uh, like that better have been. Uh, there's commitment, and then there's that. Uh, but I, you are probably right that actually is observant that if there's a lot of uh, pubic hair, it's probably a prosthetic. But not that I'm speaking from experience, but sometimes you know it, it just grows a lot, and you get tired of trying to shave it down. So it it's might, true. Sometimes it, you just have bush gardens down too. there. Is all I'm saying. So sometimes it could still be authentic, and it's just. <laughs> but you know, but then, but you would think you would want to trim that for a movie, though, because even if you're not vain, realistically, you don't want to. You want to make it seem as big as possible, especially for screen. You want something bigger. You don't want to, what could be perceived as a micro penis. And if you're a grower, not a shower, and you have a heavy bush, I'm keeping all this in, by the way. This is not getting cut. Yes, uh, please do so. Just like certain I penises mean, don't get and, cut. But you and know. listen, let me tell you, you all will know when you see a full bush, you will know a natural full bush. That is true. From a fake you could, yeah, full bush. You will be able to tell. But anyway, but you would think. In a movie, you would probably want to trim that down so it looks bigger. So I guess now you say it, yes. if you're going to see a full bush, unless it's meant to highlight like a time period or, per, you know, maybe a a type of tr- personality trait of like this person would, you know, want to be all hair or whatever, uh, it probably would be the indicator that it's a prosthetic. And, uh, and especially and on this. speaking of hair. Yeah. Speaking of hair. I, I know for a fact that there are actors who, when they do nudity, they shave their hairy butt cheeks. Mm. Thank you, Keoghan, for yeah, not shaving your like hairy butt cheeks. Don't sh- I Fantastic. Want, you gotta I have a little love bit, a hairy butt cheek. You got to have a little bit of hair on your butt cheeks. Also, any uh, proctologist, is that the one that does your ass? Yes. Thank you. I, for some reason, I was blanking. Any proctologist tell you, you'd like... Because if you watch porn, you always see these clean-shaven like assholes. You don't want it that clean-shaven, folks. You, you don't need, want it that clean-shaven. That's not no, healthy. No, it, it's, it's, you need it to have, breeds bacteria. In there yeah, too. you do. Yeah. Not, you want actually hair down there if you can. Like that's yeah. that's that's also if you have it helps. Look, we're gonna go too far on a tangent here, but you, yeah. just yeah. have some hair is what we're saying. You know, you don't need just to be, clean. No shit nuggets, please. Yeah, there you go. Just clean. It's all you gotta do. It's you know. <laughs> all right, so. Uh, Saltburn, is it is it the kind of indie film you love or is it just trash? I don't know. Let us know. You can reach out to us on any of our social media. We obviously have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook presence. You can also email us at watchskipplus. Spell out all the words, no punctuation, at gmail.com. You can also send us a message. We haven't had a recorded message in a while. But yeah, sure. Record it, send to us, send it to us. We'll address it on the air. We love interacting with you. Speaking of interacting with our friends and listeners, please leave a review. Whatever podcast uh weapon of choice you are listening to us on it is the way that our podcast gets out there i mean i know spotify is doing these weird we've suggested you to other people what the reviews please leave a review we hope it'll be five stars if it's not we welcome the criticism too less dong stop talking about your demons jose you know those kinds of things those are you know (laughs) the criticisms we look for um if you love us you'll also love the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and Not a Bomb. Those are our pod fathers as well as the OGs. The Night of the Living podcast. Please also check out Wild Dream podcast. Daniel and David, they're back from their Thanksgiving hiatus. Death by DVD, Raiders of the Podcast with Kevin. Backlook Cinema podcast with Zoe. VHS Files with Josh and all of them. Sylvan Gold, Cult of Muscle, Feminine Critique, and Married with Clickers, Red. Well, we hope... That you are never turned off by all of our dong talk. You always listen, you never skip, and you remember that you are the plus. 
God bless me, hairy gentlemen. Harry <laughs> didn't shave. There we go. Almost did. I'm dreaming of a hairy Christmas, but God bless me, hairy gentlemen. Yes. Works better. I love it. More singing. More singing. We need to. Oh, maybe we can. Maybe we can uh, record a singing of the uh, penis song from uh, The Sweetest Thing. Yeah. You and I can record oh, you that. You know what, though? Um, another. Uh, Shocker. I have yet to see the sweetest thing. That's the one with Cameron Diaz in them, right? Yes. Yes. See I've the seen, unrated one. I've because... seen parts of it. It's weird because I remember when it came out, I was getting, obviously, at that point, just getting my teens close to it. So I was starting to watch all those movies. And I knew, I think, I don't know if we owned it. I think our neighbors did. But it used to pop up. We had HBO. So it popped up on HBO all the time. But I never like sat down and watched it from beginning to end. But I would always watch like 10 or 15 oh. minutes of it. You have to. It's so good. So the song is uh, too big, too big to fit in here. You're too big to fit in here. That, I, I do at least know that song because I did see that song when yes. I watched the scene. <laughs> so that, maybe that should be it's on amazing. my uh, my list soon. 